We're in Luke chapter 3 today. Actually, for the next two weeks, the lectionary text has us in Luke chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, turn there. Or you can follow along on the screen. Most of the scripture that we delve into today together will be on the, on the screen. Hey, last week we spoke of hope. And this week, uh, peace, the Stafford family lit the candle for. It was the late uh, Reverend John Claypool who said, if we can look back with gratitude, not regret, and if we can look forward with hope, not fear, then perhaps we have a chance of living fully in the present day. You know, in this text, in Luke 3, the central figure is Jesus, of course, but it's also his cousin who comes back onto the scene as Jesus is beginning uh, to go full throttle into his ministry for the next three or so years. And here we have John the Baptist who is busy preparing the way for Jesus. Now, John the Baptist, many of you are aware of him. You've read these passages. He finds his way into the gospel stories that have, on a few different occasions, and it's never boring when he does. I, I, John the Baptist is what you would say if you've spent time on the athletic field, full tilt. This guy has one speed, as I see it. And I was thinking this week, because basketball starting, and, and uh, Keith, the Bruins, took one on the chin yesterday to Samford, and had, we haven't lost to the Bulldogs. My wife went to Samford, and I went to Belmont, and so it was a, it's a brutal loss. But um, Samford played really well, and shot it really well, abnormally well, and we're just going to call it an aberration. Anyway, I was thinking back to when I began playing basketball, and the first uh, team I made was my middle school team. I think I actually made the team as a seventh grader. Not sure I should have. Uh, and then eighth grader, I, I started getting a little better. I played basketball for a while. Uh, it got better along the way, but something that was characteristic of me as a basketball player, and I remember this let me connect it to this. Back up just a little bit. Davis Love III, nothing to do with basketball. He's a great golfer. And Davis Love, I heard him talking one time with his dad, who was his coach, talking about they figured out that his 80% golf swing actually hit the ball the furthest from the tee. It was where he could keep it the straightest and hit it the furthest. So the law of diminishing returns was in play there. Okay? So he was an 80% golfer. I bring this up because I, especially in middle school, was an 80% athlete. Okay? If I got up over 80% and I stumped my toe on somebody's heel or I caught my mother's attention in the, you know, the stands, man, I was, I was going down fast. There just wasn't a lot of coordination going on, you know, knees down or anywhere else for that matter. Tough years for Brandon. And so when I would get going full speed, it created problems. Now, I worked on some of that. It got better. You can get better feet, but I always kind of needed to temper my, uh, how fast I was going when I played. John the Baptist, this is not a perfect analogy for John the Baptist, but he didn't temper anything, y'all. He is full speed, holding nothing back. He is all in, okay? So just keep that in mind as we go through Luke chapter 3 for the next couple of weeks. Starting in verse 1 today. This, uh, 
this particular telling of John the Baptist at this point of his life and what's going on here leading into Jesus' baptism, actually, which we'll hit next week, it, it, it's in all four Gospels. It's told a little different in each one. And Luke's account is, is worthy of our consideration. So let's jump in. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee. His brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, Trachonitis and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness, John the Baptist. In the wilderness, don't miss that. He went into all the vicinity of the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight, the rough way smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word. You know, as we lit the peace candle this morning, it occurred to me, even though John the Baptist was full tilt, he was able, I believe, to be that way because he was at peace with the message that he had been given to proclaim. He was confident in what he was trying to get across. He knew that it was of utmost importance. There has never been a more important message than the one John was bringing to the people to proclaim, to prepare the way for Jesus who was coming in his ministry. And he had this, this peace, this resolve about himself. And I like that word resolve to, to meet us at the candle that the Stafford family lit today. Do you have resolve this morning? You might not. We had Keith here with us. I mean, this is a time where many of us are anxious. I, have, I, I pray every day to be a non-anxious presence for you folks. And I, I have not done a great job of that these last nine months, arguable the nine months before that, but particularly these last nine months. And I, 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 I desire to, I desire for us all to feel this resolve that only God through the Holy Spirit can give us. I think that's a pretty good way to understand peace. I think peace is an appropriate designation this morning as we look at John's life. Hey, it was my 17th, I may have mentioned this last week, it was my 17th wedding anniversary. It's Leslie Ann's too, she married me, uh, last weekend. And we're actually celebrating this evening, and I'm so excited. But 17 years together, and I still get excited about going on dates with Leslie Ann, particularly this time of year because we're so limited in what we can what we can do due to the pandemic, but we're going to do so tonight. I remember, I don't know if you remember this, sweetheart, but I remember back in late 2002 or middle of 2002 when we began dating, she was going to come over and watch a movie with me. Popcorn, maybe some hand-holding. What I remember is that for some reason, those plans kind of snuck up on us. It wasn't the original plan for whatever we were going to do that night. I can't remember what we were going to do, but we, we pivoted to watching a movie together, which was cool. I love movies. What wasn't cool is that my roommate and I, our apartment 
it, it hadn't been like three days of preparation for Leslie Ann to come over and watch a movie with me. And so I had to get that ready. That mattered to me. Now, I'm a pretty tidy fella, so it wasn't like I needed the equivalent of turning water into wine to get the apartment in order. But remember, I was totally smitten with this girl, okay? So the sort of clean bathroom, the not-so-recently vacuumed carpet, the, uh, the boys-live-here smell, all of that had to go. So here I am trying to make this apartment look and smell whatever like I, I think apartment's supposed to look and smell like for a girl I'm trying to impress to come over to not ruin what I was already hoping was the rest of our lives. Now, not exactly what John the Baptist is doing here, but similar. He is preparing the way for what is going to be the most important occurrence to ever take place. And he is saying, get with me. Prepare the way. Make those paths straight. Smooth out the rough ways. You know, the, the, truth, the truth is that a clean apartment was not going to trick Leslie Ann into loving me. But having a dirty apartment sure could hinder that progression. And I knew this. But those things can be worked out. Now listen, a healthy, committed... I'm, I'm diverging a little bit here, but I think it's important. A healthy, committed marriage can help smooth out the rough edges that we bring into such a relationship. And so I want to encourage those of you who are perhaps still in those dating years. And the dating years are, are getting longer and longer. It's uh, the, the average age. We were 22 or 23 when we got married. But that's becoming, it's becoming more common for it to be later. And, and that's fine. But a point of personal privilege here, if I may, if that's only because people are more desirous of waiting until they're ready, to get married, single folks that want desire to be married, I'm in trying to encourage you here. You're never going to be ready. I haven't steamrolled through these 17 years with any efficacy or grace. Only with God's grace. I'm not a good husband. I'm a child of the king who can help me love my wife only by his grace. And let me also encourage you by saying you're never not ready to be married. And because of that grace, you can do it. And folks, if you're already married and you don't know this yet, hear me today. I'm not speaking from, I am speaking from experience, but only by God's grace. Again, 17 years into this. Ready, not ready can be the case. It, you know, it, it, it is true at 20 as well as it is at 30 years old. Okay, back to clean apartments in Luke 3. Whatever it was that caused me to want to get that apartment in order, that internal voice, well, that is the role that John the Baptist is playing here. That is what's going on. And some messages are more important than others. Some messages are more weighty than others. I don't know how y'all's marriages go, but this particular wedding anniversary, Leslie Ann and I got each other the same gift. And what I mean by that is we went out and bought something that we thought we... We needed, and that was each other's gift. But, y'all, our first ever purchase together was a mattress. And, so, and we just, we've slept on it for 17 years. And while Leslie Ann, the delicate flower that she is, her side was, uh, uns, you know, no different than it was 17 years ago, mine looked a bit like the Smoky Mountains. And 
was no longer comfortable. And I did not realize until last night, after our first night on a new mattress, how much my life is going to be better now. We shopped for mattresses for a while. And when you do that in this day and age of the Internet, you, you have access to look up. And there's, there are, there's a ton of options out there for new mattresses, by the way. But what's so interesting is if you search engine any kind of mattress, or if you just say in conversation a mattress that you might think you're interested in, all of a sudden your Instagram feed and your, and your phone, it just starts spitting out options for you. It's uncanny how these messages can get to us so quickly. It can be quite overwhelming. Well, there was no Instagram, obviously, back in Luke's day, but he does use the opening of chapter 3 to help us, uh, help the reader draw their attention to several of the folks who would have most likely been the bearers of these important messages, these weightier messages going out to the people. And this list includes the emperor himself, governors, in the area in which you might live, high priests for the specific Jewish people in the area, Annas and Caiaphas. These were the likely choices of who was getting, who would be getting the message out. Who, who did God choose? Let's be clear. God chose a nobody to prepare the way for God's own son to make his home among us. I think this is something very important that we learn from Luke. God regularly chooses folks the world would not choose, whom the world regards as relatively insignificant to do marvelous things, to do the best things. How about Mary, Jesus' mother? A young, young girl growing up in the suburb of Jerusalem, very likely playing the role of a servant to a wealthier, more affluent family, a servant girl, mother to the king of kings, because God chooses nobodies to prepare the way for God's own son to make his home among us, like John, like Mary, because the truth is they're not nobodies. So if you feel like someone who this world easily ignores, I am so sorry that the world has failed to recognize your worth. If you feel somehow slighted that your great God-given giftedness and belovedness has gone unnoticed, let Luke encourage you today, y'all. God does not see you like that. Keith, I know it doesn't sum it all up, but I also know that part of every conversation you have and I have pastorally is for somebody to recognize their belovedness. Do you see this? Who God chooses? Absolutely God chooses you. Do not believe otherwise this morning. Please. Now, I love it when when somebody who has a platform uses that platform to you know, declare their love for and obedience to God. But hear me today, you don't have to be someone who has a platform, someone rich and powerful. I would even say it's better if you don't to be useful and used by God. Certainly somebody in my position is not supposed to be famous. Now we can argue about that, but I just see it over and over again. We're all born after Genesis 3. 
including your pastors. Pray for us. We fall too. And speaking of platforms or geography, John was doing this out in the wilderness. Not where you would take the message. The wilderness is the opposite of the Instagram feed. Not readily recognizable. They're not streets with a bunch of shoulders being rubbed out in the wilderness. This is different. He's not proclaiming his message from the palaces, not from the government buildings, not on a widely acclaimed podcast, not on a cable news station, from the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is exactly where Jesus is going to show up in Luke chapter 4 and be brutally tempted by God. Perhaps you know that story. The wilderness is, is where the Israelites roamed for many, many years in search of God. In the promised land, this is where you and I find ourselves. I believe this very strongly right now. During this pandemic, during this unique time in the history of the world, in so many ways for so many of us, it is wilderness. The wilderness is where folks are when they come to me or they come to Keith or they come to any of our ministers. Typically, that's what I find. They are in the wilderness. It is inherently difficult to navigate the wilderness. But while inherently difficult, the wilderness is often where we are the most receptive to God's call on our lives. While inherently difficult, we should expect God to teach us and to move mightily when we are in the wilderness. And Advent is precisely the time to recognize this. A time to ask God to, to be with us while also realizing that God is with us. So we have this obscure person in this obscure place speaking some of the most important preparatory words that have ever been spoken. It doesn't matter who or where you are. It doesn't matter who or where you are. God still knows you. God still loves you. It doesn't matter who or where you are. God can and will use you. So how can God use us? What takes place for the conditions to be right for God to use us? Well, John tells us it's, it's what he was preaching. It's called repentance. Maybe this is a new term for some of you. Some of you that have been in the church for a long, long time, it will not be a new term. It means to go in a different direction. It means to, to turn around or even to change our minds. But I asked you this morning, is your idea of repentance the idea that you feel guilty about some things that you've done wrong or some things that you have failed to do, or perhaps it is it just this desire you may have to be a better person. Those aren't bad things, but they're not really repentance. Repentance is actually less about those things and more about what God is doing to try to make us more like Jesus. And John is preaching that the kingdom of God is near and it is now here amongst us. It is here in and amongst you and me. And quite practically, God is calling us to repentance because God is calling us to participate in the life and the work of Jesus to actually continue the coming, help continue the coming of the kingdom to make the world more as God would have it to be. Repentance makes that possible. It's actually the beginning of that process. Now, this is a funny thing. 
when we are following and being formed by Jesus, because it doesn't happen instantaneously. This is why I tell you so often that there is no particular place you're supposed to be on your journey with Jesus. That's why when somebody like me ends up talking with somebody like Keith, it's not that I have, am in despair spiritually necessarily. It's just part of the journey. We're not admitting defeat. We're admitting we're human. That along the way we fall. Repentance continuously calls us back to God. Remember, God loves you and can use you, whoever you are, wherever you are. And God is eager to use your gifts and abilities to quite literally change the world by calling people to repentance, calling them to turn around, to to change who and what we surrender our lives to. We surrender to something. Now, we can debate this later, but I firmly believe we all surrender to something. I am calling you from this platform to surrender to Jesus. Whoever you are, whatever you've done. I heard of a church one time that weeded its membership. I'm serious. There was a young boy a member of this church who was wild as a buck, 16 years old or so. He just kept getting into trouble. He was drinking. He was carousing. Well, it embarrassed the church. It embarrassed the church and and what they felt like their standing was in the community. So the church leaders, they met about this and about this this boy. Y'all, they asked him not to come back. They said for one calendar year, You're not welcome here. You're not going to sing with us. You're not going to hear teaching. You're not going to take communion. You're not going to participate. Bet they would have still taken his money. It tore up the church, y'all. Tore up his family. Actually tore up the town. Now listen, I promise you the folks in that story that John the Baptist full tilt would have gotten in the face of, and we're going to see him do it specifically in our text next week. It would not have been that 16 year old boy and those that were like him. Not first. We all should be called to account. We all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, but it wouldn't have been that boy first because self righteousness is no mark of one who is following and being formed by Jesus. Rather, humility is. And righteousness that is specifically found completely in Jesus' righteousness. You see, that's the thing about repentance and turning around. It's saying, I can't do this on my own. I can't save myself. Only God can. I had great intentions of getting that apartment in order. And I bet 22-year-old Brandon didn't do a very good job of it. But I was trying to impress a girl. It is Jesus alone who can make us clean. It is Jesus alone who can make a marriage thrive and last. It is Jesus alone who can save. And this was precisely John's message. Everything you have ever thought 
was the key, whether it was nationality or how you were born, whether it was what you knew or how good of a life you lived, or whether it was you just mowed down everybody in your path, which has been some empire's custom. None of that leads to salvation. It is Christ alone who can make us clean. And that is John's message. But the good news is you are able whoever you are, to receive this forgiveness that John preached and then to go help make the path straight, to go help smooth out the rough edges. And John says repentance is where that begins. Let's pray.